0: Hello and welcome to a special podcast brought to you by The Lancet in conjunction with The Lancet Infectious Diseases. I'm Richard Lane and I'm joined by my colleague Sally Hargreaves on Friday April 25th 2008, the first World Malaria Day. As you may have guessed this is a special malaria podcast available both through The Lancet podcast and the podcast for the May issue of The Lancet Infectious Diseases. Sally, let's kick off with a comment in this week's issue of The Lancet, dated April 26th to May 2nd. This is written by authors from the United Nations and the Global Fund, and this is basically calling for a renewed approach to malaria control.
1: I think the creation of the first World Malaria Day is a move that I think underscores a reinvigorated new global momentum towards tackling malaria in Africa, and indeed beyond Africa into other hard-hit regions such as Asia and Latin America. Africa itself, however, accounts for 80% of the 250 to 500 million global cases of clinical malaria each year, so strategies to tackle malaria in this region of the world are particularly vital. What the authors of this commentary highlight it's the international community's new and ambitious plan to aggressively scale up malaria control interventions now in sub-Saharan Africa with the aim of ending malaria deaths on the continent in the near future. The first wave of effort will be to fund and deliver around 250 million long-lasting insecticide-treated bed nets to achieve universal access for all malaria endemic populations by 2010. Other approaches will be to scale up insecticide residual spraying programs, access to effective treatments and to strengthen health systems so that the effective delivery of new malaria tools can be achieved with urgency.
0: And Sally, the comment also discusses how relatively recent grand announcements like the 2005 Abuja declaration. Whilst that in itself failed, that's not an excuse for not being ambitious about malaria control in the future. Well
1: yes, these, these new targets are indeed hugely ambitious. Um, I, I've just returned from a visit to see rural malaria control programs in Ethiopia and I really got a sense of the barriers and obstacles that these countries still face to scaling up even basic malaria control. However, there's a real sense at the current time that ambitious targets are what the malaria community now needs. We should be aiming high. I think it's it's very important to take on board that the last decade really has seen a seismic shift in terms of resources devoted to tackling this disease. After years of neglect, the fact that malaria has now been repositioned on the global stage as a development issue has undoubtedly helped raise its profile. In addition, there have been huge funding boosts from donors, particularly the Gates Foundation. We've also been particularly successful in terms of drug developments. The Medicines for Malaria venture will be looking at registering three new anti-malarials in the near future. And there's a very real problem prospects for the first ever malaria vaccine being developed. So you know we have a growing number of tools and products poised to enter the malaria armoury, which will undoubtedly make control efforts now and in the future a lot easier. As the authors themselves state in this commentary, the pieces are increasingly in place to achieve the UN Secretary General's vision for universal coverage and make rapid gains towards ending malaria deaths in Africa. So this really is a time of renewed optimism in the malaria field.
0: Also, Sally, related to this is a viewpoint that The Lancet published online a month ago. This is written by Sir Richard Feacham and Oliver Sabbat. And this is actually talking about the concept of complete global malaria eradication. Is that right?
1: Yes, uh, this is an extremely interesting article and, and well worth a read. As many of you will remember, in October last year, Bill and Melinda Gates called for a complete eradication of malaria to be adopted as the new goal of the malaria community, a move supported by the WHO and others. And this article outlines a strategy as to how such an ambitious target might well be achieved. Although we are now seeing considerable reductions in mortality and morbidity from malaria in some countries, even the most optimistic malaria experts, however, agree that eradication is decades away. Yet many um, malaria experts I've discussed this issue with say it is certainly the right that this approach has been brought back to the table and it should be the goal. And many certainly feel that the international community should be aiming high. For now, however, Aggressive implementation of basic malaria control programs in endemic areas that are sustainable in the long term is the key focus.
0: Sally, as you've just mentioned, you've recently been traveling in Ethiopia, looking at the situation there, and you're traveling with the European Alliance Against Malaria. How was the trip? Was it interesting? And can you tell us a bit about the European Alliance Against Malaria?
1: Yes, it it was a fascinating trip, Richard. The the European Alliance Against Malaria is a group of civil society organisations that are working to ensure increased funding and commitment for malaria. I think many experts have been critical in the past of... Some EU countries for their lack of commitment to malaria, and the European Alliance is calling for greater investment in malaria as a crucial step to ensuring that the international community meets its poverty reduction targets and the Millennium Development Goals. The organisation funded a trip for myself and a group of other journalists to Ethiopia, a country that's really seeing some considerable successes in terms of reducing morbidity and mortality from malaria. And we were able to see at first hand how these projects were working. Approximately 50 million people in Ethiopia are at risk of malaria. So if successes can be achieved here, it does give considerable hope for our ability to really tackle malaria worldwide. We met with a range of players, uh, the State Minister for Health and the major donors, including DFID and UNAIDS, and travelled into rural areas to meet with healthcare workers and communities affected by malaria.
0: But why Ethiopia? And what sort of um, progress did you see in the field?
1: Well last month the WHO reported that malaria mortality in Ethiopia between 2005 and 2007 had decreased by 51% which really is a remarkable success and this was achieved primarily through expanded access to malaria control primarily long-lasting insecticide treated bed nets and artemisinin-based combination therapies or ACTs as they're known. The government here has adopted a new model to deliver healthcare to its population a network of so called healthcare extension workers across the country. It's part of an integrated approach to tackle a range of issues, including TB, HIV, malaria, and vaccine preventable disease, with a focus very much on preventative treatment. The government tells us they're on target to have 30,000 of these health extension workers, almost all of whom are women, trained up and in place by the end of 2008, which they say will ensure that malaria treatment and other control interventions which all the rural communities affected. Ethiopia has also benefited hugely in the last three years from donor support. Uh, The Global Fund and UNICEF have provided over 20 million insecticide treated bed nets to Ethiopia since 2005, and these have been distributed through the Healthcare Extension Worker Programme. The MOH here is extremely ambitious indeed in terms of what it wants to achieve.
0: That's really encouraging, Sally. What does the future hold in terms of sustainability of this effort?
1: Indeed. I think despite successes so far, there really remains a big question mark in my mind as to whether these results can be maintained, though the Ministry of Health is certainly setting itself ambitious targets. Ethiopia is an unusual country. It's an epidemic-prone country with major epidemics that affect thousands of people occurring every five to eight years. In 2003, for example, Ethiopia experienced its worst malaria epidemic to date, resulting in an estimated 100,000 child deaths. And so it's not yet clear whether in future these epidemics can be prevented and controlled. So I think the big test for scale up in Ethiopia will be this year or next, and we'll just have to watch and wait. In addition, the question remains, can these countries rely on long-term donor support for malaria? We know that the 20 million donated bed nets will only remain effective for around four years and there are no guarantees of another 20 million nets arriving, though somehow this seems unlikely. The State Minister for Health told us that there was only a 50-50 chance of securing another large-scale donation of bed nets required in the next cycle. So you can't really say that any of these successes are guaranteed in the long term at this stage.
0: And returning to the Bill and Melinda Gates plea for eradication what does eradication mean in a country like ethiopia is that possible do you think and what do what do people on the ground think about that approach
1: i have to say that the idea of malaria eradication was met with considerable skepticism among clinicians i met in ethiopia last week still struggling with the basics of rapidly scaling up malaria control Although there's much to be optimistic about in Ethiopia at the current time and and things are changing fast, still only 20%, for example, of at-risk households are benefiting from residual insecticide spraying and a considerable proportion of the population does not access healthcare through the state-run healthcare system. In addition, of course, in Ethiopia and elsewhere, there's a constant specter of resistance, resistance to new ACTs now for the first time being documented on the Thai-Cambodia border, and growing insecticide resistance. So as in Ethiopia and elsewhere, there still remain formidable challenges ahead. What I think will become increasingly important is for national governments to be looking at being able to do and fund malaria control on their own, exploring interventions and strategies that are sustainable in resource-poor settings. And certainly this is something the Ethiopian government is very aware of and committed to addressing.
0: Picking up the Lancet Infectious Diseases, the, the May issue, uh, in the Leading Age editorial, you're covering malaria as well. What, in your view, or the Lancet Infectious Diseases' view, are the crucial issues facing the malaria community at the moment?
1: Well, as I've already touched upon, we've seen a considerable shift in the past decade in terms of resources being allocated to malaria. And a wave of new products are now poised to enter the malaria armoury. So I think in terms of malaria, the old mantra around the need for new tools, new drugs and more research really needs updating. The question is now, are we gearing up sufficiently in endemic countries to ensure that individuals affected by malaria are going to benefit as and when these new tools become available? And how best can we support national governments to ensure they're adequately prepared? What the last UNICEF report showed was that only a third of children with clinical malaria access anti-malarial treatment, and even less get the newer ACTs, despite them having been recommended by WHO since 2001. When you think about it, half a dozen new ACTs in five years is is a big deal for national governments when you have to trial them in tens of thousands of patients, decide which ones to buy, find money to pay the new higher price and then ultimately change your treatment protocols. So governments really need support so that they can improve on their forecasting and supply chain management, and greater investment is certainly needed to strengthen distribution mechanisms in countries with weak healthcare systems. What is interesting is that more recently, researchers have called for private-public partnerships to look at expanding their development plans for new anti-malarial drugs from beyond merely Phase 3 trials and drug registration, so, that new drugs are introduced into resource poor countries with proper consideration. Donors are increasingly recognising now the need to invest in delivery and implementation in tandem with the previous focus on discovery and development.
0: Also, Sally, just referring to donors, one of the things you're calling for in the Leading Edge is for donors to better coordinate their effort and, particularly, for the World Health Organisation to, to really come centre stage here?
1: Research being done by Mary Moran and colleagues at the George Institute for International Health in Australia, highlighted in a news desk article in this month's issue of TLID, shows that there is a need really for better coordination among donors in terms of their investment decisions and, and improved monitoring to assess the impact of these funds. For example, they report that Global development costs for the malaria vaccine are still far too high, mainly because of the inability of the malaria community to tackle simple issues, such as agreeing to coordinate their work so that only the best candidates are tested. In addition, the drug development field is now crowded, and there is considerable duplication of effort. Moran and colleagues will work over the next five years to track what is being invested where and the data generated should help donors to more rapidly adapt their investment decisions to ensure really that the new resources now devoted to malaria are more effectively targeted. As I highlight in the editorial, there's real concern now that uh, resource-poor countries will in the future be overwhelmed by a barrage of experts championing new tools and alternative strategies and priorities for malaria control and eradication. And there's therefore a clear role for the World Health Organization to take control of global decision-making and to support and prepare national governments for the new wave of products.
0: Thanks, Sally. Jumping back to the Lancet Weekly Journal, we've got a special report looking at An interesting looking project in Tanzania, and Tanzania seems topical at the moment because a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing the countdown issue of the Lancet, we highlighted how Tanzania and basically the action of its government and its Ministry of Health were really getting its act together and delivering some fantastic health achievements in relation to tackling the Millennium Development Goals. Now in this special report written by our colleague Udani Samrasekara, Sally, This is looking at a pilot project in terms of subsidised drug programmes, presumably for ACT's.
1: Yes, um, Lancet editors really have been getting out and about this week, haven't we? Um, (laughs) Sure have. Yes, Idani's just returned from Tanzania, where she reports on a new initiative to create a global subsidy to increase access to effective ACT's. This idea was first mooted in 2004 by the US Institute of Medicine. The idea being that if you subsidise ACTs globally, then counterfeit drugs and artemisinin monotherapies, which will ultimately contribute to the development of resistance of ACTs in the long term, will just simply fall out of the market. Tanzania, with the third largest malaria burden in the world, was an ideal test bed for a subsidy, and the pilot is due to finish in 2008. As Udani highlights, there have clearly been some early successes, with the subsidy reaching those affected, and she describes very clearly how this approach actually works on the ground in privately owned pharmacies and rural communities. Yet it's unclear whether the findings could be replicated in different settings. The Medicines for Malaria venture is currently running a pilot in Uganda, and the World Bank, I believe, is now exploring the possibility of starting one in Zambia, and the results from all of these pilot projects will be eagerly awaited.
0: Thanks, Sally. also, very close to the pages where you can read about Udani's report from Tanzania, an interesting sounding book review. The book itself is called The Making of a Tropical Disease, A Short History of Malaria. That's Bill Bynum reviewing a book by Randall Packard. Also, just over the page from that, you can read a profile of Fred Binker, formerly of the Rollback Malaria campaign. Sally, thanks ever so much. I have to say, on a personal note, I've really found it interesting to look at all these different issues and aspects relating to malaria and this whole reinvigoration and some success stories, particularly the scaling up success stories. Sally, am I right in thinking there there are grounds for optimism?
1: Yes, I think there are, Richard, and I'd say it's certainly an exciting time to be working in the malaria field.
0: Many thanks, Sally. Thank you all for listening. See you next time.